you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 58 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you so much for praying for me and my family and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We really, really appreciate it. Also want to say thank you to my new Patreon, David, for uh, his support. Uh, yeah, if you're a Patreon, you can send me a request for a special podcast episode that you want to hear what the early Christians believed about something. That's why I did the Trinity episode uh, a couple episodes ago. And uh, you can also request a special acoustic version video of one of my original songs, and I'll do that for you. Also want y'all to check out Justin and West Falls' new documentary, Higher Entities, out on DVD. Please go check that out. All right, well, episode 58 is called Peace or Troublemakers, and it's about the beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And in this episode, we're going to see how being a peacemaker God's way may get you in a little bit of trouble, and uh, you may not be looked upon fondly by the world. We'll see how it's fully displayed in the life of Jesus, and we'll also see a connection that this beatitude makes to Genesis Six. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I really want to encourage you to leave a positive review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, as that'll help others find the channel easier. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, and you can find that on Amazon. And if it's a blessing to you also, I'd please appreciate you to uh, go to Amazon and leave a rating and review there as well. Well, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With an Answer. And if you have any questions about this episode or the... Uh, episodes that BDK puts out, uh, please feel free to send us a question, an email as a question in uh, to, to either me at my email address, email phyllsbaker at gmail.com or send it to BDK. And we'll be happy to answer that there on Ready With An Answer. Finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get episode 58 rolling. In 1957, Dr. Martin Luther King co-founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, known as the SCLC. And in April 1963, the SCLC launched Project C, C standing for Confrontation, in Birmingham, Alabama. The strategy was to use overwhelming nonviolent civil disobedience 
to protest racial segregation and economic injustice. In an iconic moment of the civil rights movement, Eugene Bull Connor, commissioner of public safety for Birmingham, ordered the use of high-pressure fire hoses and attack dogs against protesters. The negative media images of the events, especially the brutality visited on child protesters, shocked the nation. Even though King was laying his life down for peace, he was viewed by many as a troublemaker. In the Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That word peacemakers properly is described as someone who bravely declares God's terms, which makes someone whole. If you are bravely declaring God's terms, which will make someone whole, you will inevitably be calling them to repentance. And I don't know about you, but when I have called people to repentance, they often don't respond very um, pleasingly. And when people have called me to repentance, it's normally not my first inclination to say thank you. No, those of us who call people to God's terms, that we declare God's terms, which makes someone whole, we are often viewed as troublemakers because we are calling people to repent. That's what it means to be a peacemaker and so many situations. And that's what Elijah was facing in his ministry. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we're introduced to the king of Israel named Ahab. In chapter 16, verse 30, it says, Ahab was the son of Omri, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, more evil than all who were before him. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went to serve Baal, and he worshipped Baal. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And now we're introduced to Elijah, chapter 17. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab. So he goes right to this king who's doing more wicked, more wicked things, more detestable things than any of the kings before him. He goes right up to him and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Now notice that Baal has been basically proclaimed the God of Israel by Ahab and his cohort Asherah. And yet Elijah goes right to the problem. He says, the Lord God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, as surely as he lives, 
before whom I stand. He's calling out Ahab so badly. He says, surely there will neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, Baal was known as the storm god. And so this is a direct confrontation to show that Ahab, you are worshiping a false god. You have crossed the line. You are an apostate. You're worshiping a false deity. And to prove it, the real God, Yahweh, is going to stop the rain. And he did. After three years, verse, or chapter 18 begins and it says, Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. You can imagine Ahab is not very pleased with this Elijah guy who has basically made a mockery of him for setting up all of these uh, images of Baal and the temple of Baal and all of that stuff. So God says, go. And Elijah bravely goes and declares God's terms, which will bring peace. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. And now the famine was severe in Samaria. So, you know, the people are not are probably not very pleased with Ahab, though they, uh, they are still serving him. But people are scared of this king. He's very wicked. But Elijah goes. Skipping to verse 17. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Notice, Elijah is trying to bring Ahab and the whole country back to God. And yet he is viewed as a troublemaker. But Elijah said to him in verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but you, you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. He just goes right to it. He's calling him to repent of his idolatry. This guy is brave. He's willing to lose his life. Because Ahab and Jezebel, they've been killing the prophets of Yahweh. But Elijah knows it's better to lose everything in this world and still have God than to lose God and gain everything in this world. So Elijah says to him, Go, send and gather to me all of Israel at Mount Carmel, together with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he's like, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go 850 against God. Let's do this. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said to them, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You know, Elijah is confronting this ancient sin that is also very modern called syncretism. 
It's the blending of two religious beliefs together. You know, I see it in Mozambique where you have Christianity mixed with this tribal witchcraft stuff, but it's so prevalent here in the United States too, where we have materialism mixed with Christianity. We have Americanism mixed with Christianity. We have this lust for power. Basically, the elevation is particularly in um, in leadership positions in the church. It's the idolatry of the self, popularity, prestige, success, celebrity mixed with Christianity. It's syncretism. It's ancient. And we must repent of it. And you know, there is this great showdown with Elijah and these 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And he calls fire down from heaven and he kills all of those false prophets. Well, Jesus is a better Elijah. And he confronts the religious leaders as well. He confronts all the people. In fact, with, with, with this message of repentance, in fact, that is the main theme of his preaching. You see it at the beginning of Mark chapter 1 in verse 14 and 15, where Mark says that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. We must repent. We must repent to be at, at peace with God. And it's not just at the beginning of his ministry. No, you see this after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Several decades later, when the book of Revelation is written, he's still confronting the church and calling it Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the ultimate peacemaker, calls the churches in Revelation to repent. In chapter 3, he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, a reputation that you're alive, but you are dead. So wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, do it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you do have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, I know many people think that the church of Laodicea is the best example of the modern church, but really, I really think the church of Sardis is a great picture of the American church. We 
are so great at publicizing what we claim are victories on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. We put this fantastic image on. We look like we are alive. We can have we can have video streams that look like we have a packed house with a great production. We can fool everybody when there are only maybe 40 people in a service. We have a reputation that we're alive. But in so many places, on so many Sundays, the modern American church is dead. Though not all. No, not all. So many people I've run into are embracing the house church movement, are embracing this idea of small groups. They are rejecting the corporate approach, the business approach of church. And Jesus calls us to repent. He calls us to repent. Well, the beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be the sons of God. You know, in Genesis six, we are introduced to the sons of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, this phrase, B'nai Ha Elohim, the sons of God, they're viewed as angels, angels. It's always angels. And their purpose is to be messengers, to help bring humanity to be peace, to be at peace with God, to help declare God's terms that will make us at peace with him. That's the purpose of the sons of God originally, the angels. And yet these sons of God in Genesis chapter six come down and bring chaos to the world and try to separate mankind from God's purpose. They try to separate mankind and deceive mankind into rejecting those things which will make us at peace with God. You can read about that not just in Genesis 6. You can read about that in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 in Jude. You can read about it in many of the early Christian writings in the book of 1 Enoch, in the book of Jasher, this is the testimony of the early Christians. Well, Jesus, the ultimate son of God, he came and declared God's purposes, that will, God's plan that will make us at peace with him. And in fact, he laid down his life to reconcile us that we could be adopted into his family and be regenerated to be born from above, born again, given new spiritual DNA from Jesus himself, that we would be transformed into his image so we could live as peacemakers like Jesus in the world. And Paul hits on these themes in Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, demonstrating what the real sons of God now are supposed to look like. Paul writes in verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I just want to pause there and discuss a couple of things in what we just read. Someone who is a peacemaker boldly and bravely declares God's terms, which will bring others to peace. And that is not something that is very um, easy to do. It's something that's scary. But if we're living by the Spirit, we will put to death the deeds of the body, selfishness that keeps us from helping people, the fear that causes us to shrink back and not bravely call people to repent. No, if we are living by the Spirit, we will be putting to death the deeds of the body. If we are being led by the Spirit of God, that's what the sons of God will do. The sons of God imitate the ultimate Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if we're doing that, we are often going to be labeled as troublemakers. We will have to suffer with him. And frequently, like with Jesus, it will be the people who claim to be representing God that will be causing us to suffer. But Paul continues in verse 18, but I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know, Adam's kind of like God's son in a way, not the ultimate son of God, but in a way, God's son. And because of his disobedience, the creation was subjected to futility, but the better Adam, the second Adam, the ultimate son of God, Jesus Christ, has come to right the ship, has come to turn things right side up again because this world is very upside down. And Jesus has begun to do that by living 
for us, by dying for us, by rising again for us, by ascending into heaven for us, and by sending the Holy Spirit into us to conform us into his image, to make us like him, that we too would be like sons of God here on earth, reflecting the glory of Christ Jesus and through his power and through his grace, by faith, being led by the Spirit of God and being peacemakers here on earth that confront the upside down that is the world we live in. By calling the world we live in to repent, to change our mind, to change our direction, and to come back home to God. There is a great blessing for those who are peacemakers. And it's a prophecy. Like all the other Beatitudes in one respect are prophecies. The peacemakers are the ones that creation is longing for. When we are revealed as the true children of God, when we are displayed in glory like Christ what a glorious day that's going to be when we completely reflect the image of the Lord. God bless you. against us and seeks to ensnare us in manifold ways sorrows are part of this narrow road that we follow but then on that day
to see your majesty and let us hear your wonderful voice lord let us seek your kingdom with all our hearts lord let us see your majesty and let us hear your wonderful voice lord let us seek your kingdom with all Day.